0: Welcome again to church. My name is Pastor Joe. Welcome to Epiphany Church. We are glad that you're watching. We're glad that you came in here. We're glad that you're with us tonight. And I pray that you will hear from God and you will be encouraged. But sometimes all we really think about is our need, right? Like I need to be encouraged. I'm at the end of my rope or whatever. But God has things for us that we don't even feel that we need. And sometimes we need to be challenged. And sometimes we need to be taught. We need to have some new ways of thinking. Sometimes we need to be warned. And so whatever it is that we need as we come before the presence of God, I pray for that. So would you join me right now as I pray as we get into this word? Lord, I pray, Father, that you would bless us. not just to walk out happy, although I do pray that you would minister to worn out and weary people. And I do pray that you would fill them up. But I I pray, Father, that we would come out loving you a little more. That, That we would come out of this time longing to be more holy Longing to be more faithful and understanding what it is that you are calling us into. So Lord, I pray that your word would speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let me read for your hearing. You can also follow along in your Bible or up on the screen from Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus, He has inaugurated for us a new and living way through the curtain, that is, through His flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed pure forever. Let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering since he who promised is faithful. And let us watch out for one another to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other. And all the more as you see the day approaching. For if we deliberately go on sinning after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a terrifying expectation of judgment and a fury of a fire about to consume the adversaries. Anyone who disregarded the law of Moses died without mercy, based on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think one will deserve who has trampled on the Son of God, who has regarded as profane the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified, and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know the one who has said, vengeance belongs to me, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Therefore, remember the earlier days when after you had been enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to taunts and afflictions. And at other times you were companions of those who were treated that way. For you sympathized with the prisoners who accepted with joy the confiscation of your possessions. Because you know that you yourselves have a better and enduring possession. So don't throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you need endurance, so that after you have done God's will, you may receive what, he, what was promised. For yet in a very little while, the coming one will come and not delay, but the righteous one will live by faith. And if he draws back, I have no pleasure in him. But we are not those who draw back and are destroyed, but those who have faith and are saved. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Amen. So four months into this series, we only got one more month left. I can feel it. I don't know if you can. I, I feel like I've been living in Hebrews, and I, I'm glad that I have been. It's been a memorable time. It made me think of, I don't know if you know that old school Willy Wonka movie where they get into the, the boat that rides around the, the, the chocolate river, <laughs> and then when they get, it gets all trippy, and it's all crazy, and the lights all blink, and When you read Hebrews, you are going in like a warp speed tour of the Old Testament. And you're looking at the prophets, and you're looking at covenants, and you're looking at the temple and the tabernacle, and you're looking at high priests, and you're looking at the law. You're looking at all these things, and the sacrifices. And it's a beautiful thing. It's good to get familiar with God's word. It's it's good to to get out of our own circumstances, to have preaching that's just not about like hitting you between the eyes exactly what you're going through, but take you into this world. (laughs) Because this is what's going to help you. Amen? So what do we see in this passage We see right off the bat in verse 20, we see that we have confidence to draw into the most holy place or the holy of holies. And we do this because we have a curtain in which we can pass through, which is the body of Jesus. And it also talks about the fact that we can come near to God by, what, the blood of Jesus. And so Jesus has opened up a way for us to move towards the holiest place with confidence, without shame, without fear. This is a big deal. God is calling you in. He's welcoming you in. I remember this one time. we uh, Chris Chris Yuki can tell you, and and, uh, my wife was at this church. And Chris and uh, Melissa and all, we were at this church in Philadelphia. And it was an old Romanian Orthodox church. And if you sat in the pews, you could look straight up. And sometimes you could see the sky, right? Because there was... (laughs) some spots in the roof you could see through the roof. And then down in the basement where we had our child care, and Christy was doing child care, right? And she would have to come early to church and pick up the feathers because they were doing something with live birds <laughs> you know, during the week. And, and, and I remember we were getting a tour from the priest as we were looking at actually renting this place before we actually rented that place to meet on Sunday afternoons. They met on Sunday mornings, just like we do here with First Baptist. And the priest showed us downstairs the bar area, the stage, the rooms in the back where we could have meals, all the offices, whatever. And he said, you can use any part of this church, but you can never go into the Holy of Holies. And so behind the altar was a closed off spot he said you never you never go in there but what we see in this passage is that there was a place there was a place called the holy of holies in the temple and we 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 find out that when jesus was hanging on the cross It was about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, but all of a sudden, the sky turned to be like midnight, and there was all kinds of things breaking loose. And one of the things that happened is that in the temple where the priests were serving, the curtain was torn from the top to bottom. The, the curtain that would protect people from the holy of holies. So now all of a sudden, these people are minding their own business, doing their job, and all of a sudden they are exposed. Have you ever been to someone's house and you break something, but then you try to like, like you move the mug like this. You're like, yeah, I think I, I think I cracked that mug, <laughs> but I'm going to, I'm going to move it like this. <laughs> I'm going walk away and maybe they won't find out. <laughs> The thing is is that this this place where God met man the temple was a place that, where heaven and earth were to come together where the presence of God would be with the people of God and there was this thick curtain and why do we need a curtain because if we're in the presence of God and we're in our stupidity in our sin in our selfishness we are destroyed when Jesus hung on that cross, that curtain was ripped in half. His blood gives us access to the holiest place you can imagine. I want you to know that some people like, don't want to come up here. We should encourage everyone who comes up here and shares. It can be nerve wrecking, but we know that there's nothing more holy up here than down there, amen? We know there's nothing, but God want you to know this there is no place that you can go where you are unworthy of going there if you're in Jesus there is no place where it's like oh Missy you're too sinful for this room (laughs) right oh Owen no you're you're just not you don't measure up you can't go upstairs into this office with 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 Jesus's blood in the spiritual world right you can go anywhere when you are in Christ And this should free you. This should give you a sense of confidence. That's what we're seeing in the text, that we have confidence to draw near to God. I just want you to have that confidence. I I want you to know that when you come to God, he is not like, all right, um, you need to go to my secretary, Peter. uh, Fill out this questionnaire. And then uh, I'll I'll bump you up to this angel, that angel. And... uh, you're probably not going to get your response today. Calling God is not like calling Comcast. You're not going to maybe get an appointment in a week and you got to block out a whole day. You can come to God and he will meet with you. If you draw near to him, he wants to be with you. And so confidence leads us to holding this unswerving hope, this radical faithfulness been calling this whole series faithful God wants you to be faithful and one of the ways that we are faithful is by encouraging each other spurring one another it's by provoking one another as it says in the Christian standard Bible the one we just read right we provoke one another towards love and good works verse 24 Now, last week after church, Shady Amanda jammed me up, (laughs) and she comes up to me, and and, and she's like, I see your knee is bad. You've been saying, you've been saying over, like, like people need to take care of this and that. What are you doing? (laughs) And isn't it funny, like, you know, it was banged up on Sunday, and I am going to the doctor this week but I got to go on one of those telehealth things where you just, you call and you just talk on the phone about what happened and they were able to call in a script to get me some steroids, you know? And I've been able to bend my knee. I've been able to move around and been able to do what I, what I need to do. But first I had to spend about four days almost completely immobile. And my question is, do we spiritually sit in misery, unable to move, when the answer is literally like six blocks away down at CVS and like a 10-minute phone call to the doctor? And the answer is yes, we definitely do that. We definitely wallow in our misery when the answer is you have access to heaven, you have access to God, the blood of Jesus gives you this access, and we're thinking, I don't know, like, I can't tell you how many times I hear this, where folks will tell me, I feel so bad, I don't go to church anymore. And it's like, okay. Um, so, you could go to church and feel loved and not feel bad anymore. Amen? But like, but there's something broken in us. Just like there's something broken in me, where it's like we've been talking about this with the men. We, we, we just had a, a fire pit and we we read from this book, and we've been talking about how you know what accountability and change in your life doesn't happen until you're broken. Uh, change doesn't happen in your life until you can confess. You have to be able to admit, I am in need. You have to be able to admit and you have to be able to believe that when you go to God, he will help you. But when you're just trying to like, I'm just trying to do this thing on my own, you'll never change. So you need help and you need others and you need God. And so we're called to to provoke each other to love and good works. Amen. And I will not apologize um for trying to do this I, you know i'll say wild things to folks right as not just from the pulpit but in conversations with people if you there are better things in life than just getting ahead financially getting ahead and having some security there are better things in life than having comfort and convenience and part of provoking one another towards love means that you have to sometimes talk really clearly you have to sometimes say what the heck are you doing You're just stuck. You're just sitting, and you're wallowing in. You've got the steroid prescription in the thing, and you're sitting there in misery, and it's six blocks away. Get up! Go get help! Brothers and sisters, I just... I know that about half the church hears me talk about provoking one another towards loves and half the church hears me about provoking one another towards good deeds. And you have this problem where you're always kind of in the role of being the helper and then you feel used and you're always doing something for others but you don't do the things you need to do for yourself and I need you to hear me really loud and clear. Help needs to be equal. Help needs to be the situation where you are giving, but so are they. They need to be ready. Whoever you're trying to love needs to be ready. They got to be ready for that help. But you can say, but pastor... God's love comes when we're still dead set enemies of him he gave a hundred percent of himself we were dead in sin and Christ died for us amen And, and and we experience that too people just loving on us when we were mean to them when we didn't want to listen to them but I need you to hear this and this is very important Jesus is the savior, but you are not you're not Jesus Amen? And Jesus Christ died on the cross for your wife, so you do not have to. Jesus Christ died on the cross for your husband, so you do not have to. Jesus died for your kids. Jesus died for your neighbors. Jesus died for your co-workers. Jesus is the one who poured out his last drop of blood for the people that you care about, that you want to help. So you point them to Jesus and not to yourself. And there is an absolute truth where you cannot help somebody do something they don't want to do. I remember a few months ago, we had a a birthday party out at the, um, we have a camper, a campsite, and uh, Tay, Dylan's wife, came, and we were outside, and she got stuck in the mud. She, she was stuck in the, in the mud, and it was a very, it was very wet and muddy day, and like the more, you know, right, the more you hit the gas, and the more you spin the wheels, what happens? Yeah, you see the car go like this. <laughs> just sinking deeper and deeper and deeper. And so someone had to come around, right, with a, a big Jeep and a, a clamp and a chain and everything and and drag that car out, drag the van out. And, and what I, what I need you to hear is that There's a way to help people, and then there's a way not to help people. You can get in that car seat, and you can just hit the gas down all the way, and all you're doing is wasting your time and their time, and you're making things worse. We need wisdom. We need wisdom, and one of the things that we need, one of the wisdoms that we need in terms of provoking each other and spurring each other on is found in verse 25, right, where the author of Hebrews tells us, don't stop meeting together. Don't get into a habit where you just stop meeting together. Last Thursday night, we talked about the second vow. And we have this series on vows. And all the members of the church, we want you to walk through it. We're going to do this in our small groups this year. So if you missed it, we're going to put it in front of your eyes again. And we're going to ask questions from it. But one of the things that I pointed out is that, you know, if you're going to say Jesus is your Savior and and, and he's your Lord, then coming to church is not something you can, it's not a negotiable thing, right? It's not not this thing where it's like, I'm in the spot in life where I feel like coming to church a little more than I used to. Nah, like if Jesus is your Lord and Savior, like this is just what you do. You, you switch your life around, right? Like I understand there's all kinds of things you got to do, responsibilities that are good. But you put it and you make it an anchor to your week. You are like, I'm going to come and hear the word of God. I am going to come and I'm going to be around my brothers and sisters. I'm going to come and be accountable and, and be open and, and share that I'm not doing things great. I'm not perfect and I need help and I need prayer because we want to actually see you change. We want to see Jesus actually come into your life and transform you. You know, being spiritually healthy, doing something like going to church is not necessarily itself the good works that the Bible talks about. Just like I watch... I I like to watch uh, boxing, I like to watch MMA. Now, when you you schedule a fight, maybe four or five months out, before they fight, they they need those, they need that six weeks or more to have a training camp where they're, they're getting into peak shape and they're getting their weight exactly where it needs to be, exactly when it needs to be. I mean, their overall need to be people that are healthy anyway but when they know they're going to be under the lights and they're going to have a fight when they know they're going to do something for you know this is their job this is where they get the big payday they make sure they are in peak condition and what I want you to know is that God has prepared some things for you to do There's some things that he's called you to do, and you're going to be miserable if you don't do them. You're you're just going to have no energy. You're going to have no purpose. There are things in which God has called you to do that because you're so stuck in your life and not doing them, you're getting the energy zapped out of you. But what I want to tell you is that God wants you to train. He wants you to prepare for good works. He he wants you to be in the right frame of mind. And that might be like that six-week camp. That might be like a big build-up. That might be like, hey, next Saturday, right? We're going to deliver meals to 150 families. So that might mean like I'm going to come and I'm going to deliver. And I'm going to pray. I'm going to do like two routes. I'm going to come and help pack. I'm going to give like three, four hours that day. I'm going to come and I'm going to have... A heart that's just ready to serve. I'm gonna clear my mind of whatever junk that's going on. I'm gonna show up. Or it might be like I come to church and I'm gonna I'm gonna help set up and, and, and I'm gonna I'm going to try to like I'm gonna ask the people that I'm serving with, like how they're doing. I'm gonna I'm gonna pray for them. I'm gonna come in warm, not cold. I'm gonna come in, not just thinking about myself, but considering other people. I'm going to come and be a blessing. It could be as small as, you know, it's the end of the day. I'm sitting in the car. I got a whole bunch of kids in the house. And I'm going to take 30 seconds to just cry out to God for help. But you need to recharge, amen? You you need to be in a healthy spot. You know, being spiritually healthy is not a good work, but it's training. It's 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 right. You need that camp. You need to prepare. I don't. I don't want. This is what I don't want. I don't want every single experience of ministry to be draining to you. Do you hear what I'm saying? I, I don't want every time you come to church is because like like because I asked you ten times in a row. <laughs> You know what I mean? Or I don't want like you do a study and somebody shares their heart and it just triggers you. It just stresses you out because a lot of us have a lot going on in our lives. So if you hang around other people, it will trigger you. If you hang around other people with problems, it will burden you. We had three different parents of kids of our teen- teenagers pass away in a month. So if we're going to be church family, it means we're going to be around some folks who lost people in their lives. But you can't just live only on challenge. You need support as well. You need rest as well. You can't just only have an experience of church and faith where you go and you serve, where you go and you show up and you help, you go and you listen, you try to do this and that. You need to be listened to. You need to be loved. You need to hear from God. You need to have the Spirit come on you. You need to sing. You need to hear the Word of God and be encouraged. I remember when I was a new Christian, um, just got saved, and we had this uh, youth group. We had a pretty big youth group, probably like 60, 70 kids, and uh, there was a group of us, about five or six of us, that were just like, we were just hungry, amen? We were hungry, so what we did is we would get together another night of the week. We would have a little barbecue, or we'd get something to eat, go to Wendy's, whatever, And then afterwards, and we would pray, and we would read stuff together, and then we would go to the nursing home, or we would go to the mall, or we would go wherever, and we'd share the gospel, we would listen to people, we would see how we could serve people. And I'll tell you what, most of those weeks when we went and we tried to talk to people about Jesus, we weren't doing it right. Most of the times we went out there, we probably weren't that comforting to the people we were visiting in the nursing homes, just some random teenagers being awkward. (laughs) But we were in a a, a training ground, amen? Because every single one of those kids I did that with for two plus years is now still following Jesus 20 years later, most of them in full-time ministry. We need to learn the difference between fruitfulness and success. We give things up way too quick. We're like, I tried to do things. I saw somebody sharing there said, I think I have reversed karma in my life. The more I try to do the right things, the more things fall apart in my life. And, brothers and sisters, as Christians, we don't believe in karma. We do what's right because it's right. It may not get better. It may get worse. And in fact, the word of God promises you that when you start to leave the the halls, the dungeon of darkness, when you start to get set free, it will get harder. It will. We We need the gospel, amen? We need Jesus, so I want—I I, want to look, and I know we don't have as much time, but this is really important. We—we we, see—we see what happens though, and we see kind of where this passage is going. And it starts off real confidence, doesn't it? It starts off with, "Hey, you have access to God through Jesus." Through his blood, through the curtain—that is his body. Well, hold on to this, un, this faith unswervingly. You know, it, it starts off this way, and then it kind of progressively starts to break down. And the author of Hebrews is now saying, "Hey, some people just stop meeting. Some people just stop going to church. So you got to provoke each other. This isn't just going to happen naturally. You're not just going to coast on to faithfulness." And now we get to the question of, do people actually? lose their salvation. And um we see in this passage, you know, this great warning where the author of Hebrews says it's impossible for those who have tasted for those who had been, you know, following Jesus that there is no other sacrifice there, there, there is no other sacrifice for sins and, and I want you to hear me out some of us have heard in churches different ways of approaching this subject there's the, the once saved always saved I don't know if you've ever heard that expression you know once you, once you, once you prayed the prayer once you said, I'm in with Jesus, you can never lose that. That's one thing that we've been taught. And then another side is, hey, you better be right with God. Because if you're in, if you slip up, that could be the end of it. If you're not in a right relationship with God right now. So like I've seen where the mother of a drug dealing daughter where that drug dealing daughter said, I'm no longer a Christian and hasn't gone to church, right, in years. And I've seen that mother hang on with dear hope like, but when they were eight years old, they walked down that aisle and they prayed that sinner's prayer. (laughs) But brothers and sisters, that's just superstition. That's no different than saying like if you were in a spot and you got poured over with some water on you that saves you regardless of what's happening in your heart. S- repeating the words of a of a man doesn't save your soul. Faith in Jesus that's genuine and lasts and is real saves your soul. This is why Jesus said there would be people who would come to him and they would cry out, Lord, Lord. And he would look at them and he'd say, I never knew you. They'd say, look at all the things we did for you. And and, and Jesus would say, I don't know who you are. We have to look at the whole of scripture and you know, one of the reasons that we hear in churches this, this one saved, always saved thing is because we see in John chapter 10, verse 28, where Jesus is speaking, and he says that, he, that the Father gives eternal life. And then he says that no one whom he gives to me can be snatched out of his hand. In Philippians 1:16 you see Paul reminding the Philippians and encouraging them. He said, the one who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. And we see in Ephesians 1.5 that before the foundation of the earth, so get this, before you were even born, God knew you and he predestined you. He chose you. And so we get confused because we see passages like we see tonight where it's impossible to to go anywhere else but Jesus, where it's impossible to continue on and deliberately sin again and again and expect to be saved. So what's going on? Well, Jesus says in Matthew 24, verse 13, he says that the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this is what I believe that Hebrews is teaching us. That fruitless Christianity is self deception. You cannot claim to be a follower of Christ and it have no impact on your life. Did you hear me say that we should judge other people's journeys? <laughs> no, it's not what I said. Did you hear me say that somebody who went from, you know, deep in addiction, deep into this, this, and that, and now they have legal problems, and they still curse people out, and they're still rough around the edges. Did you hear me say that that person couldn't be saved? Absolutely not. So change looks different in every single person. But change there has to be. Like there has to be a genuine change in your life. And if there is no change in your life, then you can just be lying to yourself thinking that you are a Christian and you're not. 1 John chapter 2 verse 1 says, They went out from us, but they did not belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. However, they went out so that it might be made clear that none of them belong to this. He's talking about these, these brothers and sisters who look like they were down, look like they were in. They got baptized. They even suffered some stuff. They, they even got like persecuted. And now their faith has grown cold and they're nowhere to be found. They haven't been around for months and years. They're just doing their own thing. And, and John is saying, look, They thought they were with us, but they weren't really. This is what I want you to hear. If you are truly in Christ, that is a gift that is forever, and it can never be taken away. But on the other hand, we can fool ourselves. We can think that we have genuinely been converted and we haven't. And Hebrews tells us there's no plan B. Brothers and sisters, church won't save you. A sinner's prayer you said when your kid won't save you. Your grandma's prayers for you won't save you. Where are you with God? I, I just like barely could read the words when I was reading the scriptures where it said, it is a frightful thing, it is a fearful thing to ha- fall into the hands of a living God. See, I think this passage gives us a model When we find ourselves losing that first love, when we find ourselves backslidden, when we find ourselves in a spot where we're not sure where we are, and the first thing it does is it warns us heavy, doesn't it? All this time we've been saying that the, old Test- the New Testament's better than the New, I mean, sorry, that the New Testament, the New Covenant is better than the Old. All this time we've been saying that it's clearer That, 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 you know, Jesus is clearer than the the laws, that he's the ultimate sacrifice, that all these sacrifices were pointing to him. And it's this is true too, that grace is more real, but so is judgment. Because in the Old Testament, judgment was about nations mostly. Judgment was vague. Judgment was about the day of the Lord. But here now, the New Testament pulls you in and says, no, you individual. And it draws you in and everybody else parts like the seas. And now you are standing before God alone. And it's saying, what will you do with Jesus? If you reject Jesus, if you reject his blood, you rejected the greatest gift that God has ever given to the world. And I believe that's what this is saying. Not that if you're backslidden, there's no way back into faith. That's not what I believe. But it's saying, don't think there's going to be another way that you're going to get stapled into the kingdom of God. And here's the thing. Whether you are genuinely a Christian having a bad month, or whether you never really met Jesus, it never really changed you, you only thought it did, you still have the same word for you, the same exact word, and that is to repent and believe in the gospel. That is, that the door is open. That is that the curtain has been torn in half. That Jesus has been killed so that you might live. That his blood has been shed so that you can go into the holiest place. So what we do is we do this passage, right, with the author of Hebrews. He warns, like, hell is going to be hotter if you reject what you know. If the people before were under judgment for what they didn't know, imagine what it is for you to know this, And still not choose it. And then, then the author of Hebrews reasons with the people, right? And he says, look, you used to love, like I, I used to, he says, you had your stuff stolen from you. People were insulted. Some of your family and friends were insulted. Some of you were insulted. You came under persecution. And you still had joy, And then he ends from warning to reasoning and he ends with encouragement. And I think this is the pattern for us. He says, listen, I had to say these words of warning, but he looks at us and he says, but you brothers and sisters, you're not the kind to shrink back. Do you see what's going on there? Man, the author of Hebrews loves every single person that's reading this book. (laughs) And he's warning you, and he's reasoning with you, and he's arguing with you. And the whole flow of the argument is not for you to be discouraged and to think, well, I used to be saved and now I'm not, so I guess there's no way back in. That is not the flow of that argument at all. (laughs) The entire structure of the chapter is to say, there's only one way to mercy, and that is Jesus. And maybe you've never actually experienced it genuinely, but it's still open to you as long as you have breath in your lungs. And many, many people you wouldn't be the first have spent lots and lots of years in church, and they they, their testimony is, "I got saved today. <laughs> I got saved today." Let me pray for us. Father God, I pray that um, you'd help us to know your word. Help us to know your truth, Lord. I pray that we wouldn't take uh, false comfort from superstition, from I was baptized, I said this prayer, I repeated something someone else said, I, I felt something in my stomach, I, whatever. I pray, Lord, that we would, we would judge ourselves the way you do and through your word. And, Lord, your word is so clear we have to overcome till the end we have to remain faithful so Lord I pray that we would be a community that seeks to be faithful and also seeks to provoke one another to faithfulness That we would watch out for each other that we would see that that the people we love don't grow a root of bitterness in their life don't grow uh, unbelieving and wayward heart that we would love each other that we would challenge each other but never condemn that we would call each other up and 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 be there for each other and not shame each other father god i pray father we would hear your word calling us home and we would hear your word that says we are welcome into the holy of holies that your blood was shed for us that we have confidence we can pray to you and Lord, we could, we could have been in our bag yesterday doing something wicked, but if we come to you, you forgive us. Your blood was shed for us. And Lord, I pray, Father, that we would believe that and we would continue to walk in this new life and not live in the gutter and not live in the in, in our self sufficiency. And oh God, I pray, Father, we wouldn't be like I was early this week just sitting at home in pain, unable to move, when the answer is right, right there. Help us to turn to you, Jesus.